Every so often, Utah ends up with the worst air in the country. Tonight, in one of the prettiest spots in the country, the problem is dirty air and lots of it. They're used to it. This kind of thing happens every year. But this year, it's the worst anyone there can remember, making life anywhere outside the home downright dangerous. NBC's Miguel Almaguer has our report tonight from Salt Lake City. You heard that right. That was Brian Williams on NBC Nightly News talking about air quality on the Wasatch Front. In more recent history, we've seen headlines proclaiming things like Salt Lake City finishes day with the worst air in the country. Poor air is a Wasatch Front problem, a Cache Valley problem, a Uinta Basin problem. It's even a Washington County problem. But what if we told you that those headlines are missing a bigger picture? See, in 2013, the year we were featured on NBC Nightly News, the Wasatch Front had 30 days that would be considered bad air days. Salt Lake County alone had 38. But guess how many we had like that in 2012? One. Only a single bad air day. Then in 2014, there were 15 bad days. In 2015, down again only to five. The point is, our air isn't just getting worse and worse. It's a lot more complicated than that. We had eight bad air days in 2003, then 39 in 2004, then 13, then 24, up, then down, then down again. But if you look at the long-term trends, something important emerges. For the first decade of the 2000s, Salt Lake and Utah counties saw an average of 19 days each year that we'd consider bad air days. But in the most recent decade, from 2010 to 2019, that number dropped to 11. Our air is actually getting better. So, problem solved? Brian Williams missed the big picture and our air's just gonna get better? Not so fast. This is the Your Utah, Your Future podcast. Envision Utah's podcast about how we make sure Utah is a great place to live both now and for decades to come. And this is our first ever podcast episode. In the early 2010s, we kicked off an effort to engage Utahns across the state in creating a vision for Utah in 2050. More than 52,000 of you joined that effort and weighed in on what you want Utah's future to be. This podcast is about that vision, what we all want for the future, and what we can do to get there. Our first three episodes are about air quality and everything Utahns should know about air quality. We're going to talk about why our air can get bad, where pollution comes from, what it does to your health, what actions you can take to ensure cleaner air in the future, and why you should care in the first place. Plus, a deep dive into everything you didn't even know you wanted to know about air quality and the cars we drive. Whether you see Utah's air quality issues as a minor annoyance or a life-threatening problem, we should all recognize that our air quality affects our state's beauty, our economy, our health, our moods, and more. But the truth is, we are in control of our air quality destiny. We can leave Utah's air cleaner for the next generation. So let's take a look at the future of Utah's air quality. For part one in our series, we want to understand what our air quality problem really is. What causes bad air and why does it matter? Part two will focus on the solutions, things we can do to clean up the air. Then part three will be something of a bonus, a deep dive into how our cars affect our air and how we can change how they affect our air. Let's start with the parts you might already be a little familiar with, inversions. I decided to come to Utah in part because of the juxtaposition of really excellent air quality that we have sometimes in the spring and the fall even, and then the really poor air quality that we have in the winter and the summer sometimes. It actually makes a really good place to study air quality. 
That's Dr. Kevin Perry, a professor in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Utah. He's widely renowned as an expert on all things dust and air quality, specifically in Utah. In fact, over the last few years, he's been riding his bike back and forth for 2,300 miles around the Great Salt Lake to collect soil samples for his research on the dust that blows off the lake bed and becomes part of the air we breathe. Any place that has topography or mountains basically surrounding them are prone to have what we call cold air pools in the wintertime. You can just imagine that at night when the ground is starting to cool, as the air cools, it becomes more dense than the surrounding air and it'll start to sink and it'll end up sinking down into the bottom of our valley. And when you have cold air below warm air, uh, we call that a temperature inversion. You know that window of time after a snowstorm when the sky is clear and it's quiet? Well, believe it or not, an inversion has already started building. Snow cover cools the air near the ground, and the white snow also reflects sunlight and heat rather than absorbing it. Other factors are also at play, like the fact that the sun is lower in the sky during the winter and the nights are longer. But it's important to note that all these things that cause an inversion are natural processes. The temperature inversions are perfectly natural. They've been occurring in this area since the mountains were created millions of years ago. But they limit the vertical mixing that can occur during the day. And so any pollution that we emit near the surface actually remains near the surface right where we breathe. And so when you put 2 million people under one of these capping inversions, then all of the pollution that they emit, they end up breathing it right back. This might be splitting hairs. But we think it's important to understand that our infamous inversions are not clouds of smog sitting over the valley. They are pools of cool air trapped by a lid of warm air. We just fill those pools with smog. Now, you might also be wondering at this point, what is this smog anyway? During the wintertime, most of our pollution problems are associated with particles in the atmosphere. And we've done research to determine what those particles are made out of. And the majority of those particles are made out of a chemical compound called ammonium nitrate. And that pollution that we put out into the atmosphere doesn't immediately come out as particles, but it eventually cooks in the atmosphere and is transformed into particles uh, that can then remain in the atmosphere for up to two weeks if there's not any precipitation or any wind event to uh, remove the particles from the atmosphere. Basically, when an inversion occurs, we do something seemingly innocuous, like drive somewhere, fire up a snowblower, or run our furnaces. And the combustion involved in those activities results in things like nitrogen oxides or NOx, sulfur dioxide, ammonia, or these things called volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. But these compounds aren't necessarily the major pollution we deal with, not yet anyway. It turns out that these chemicals are highly reactive in our atmosphere. So these highly reactive chemicals do what highly reactive chemicals do. They break apart, combine together, and create new compounds that we classify as fine particulates. The biggest fine particulate culprit here is known as PM 2.5. That's particulate matter 2.5. The 2.5 means it has a diameter of 2.5 microns or smaller. Now, if you're not familiar with a micron, 2.5 of them are about 30 times smaller than the width of a human hair. PM 2.5 can be a lot of things, But during our winter inversions, most of the PM 2.5 we have is ammonium nitrate. Allow me to summarize. 
When we have an inversion, chemicals we put into the air during our everyday lives get trapped in the air around us. Then those chemicals combine with other chemicals to create something called PM2.5. That PM2.5 sticks in the air because of the inversion. That's the ugly, unhealthy pollution that we can see. But wintertime pollution is only half the problem. In summer, we have a bad ozone problem. Most of the Earth's ozone is natural and good. It sits in the stratosphere, somewhere between 6 and 31 miles above us, and it protects us from ultraviolet radiation. Bad ozone, or ozone near the Earth's surface, is, in the right quantities, harmful to human health and can even damage crops, trees, and other plant life. Again, Dr. Perry. When we move to the topic of ozone, for most of Utah, we're dealing with a summertime air quality problem. You know, we breathe oxygen, which is a diatomic oxygen. It's two o- oxygens put together. And ozone is just a different formulation of that. It's three oxygens that are put together. An odd thing about ozone is that nothing emits ozone into the atmosphere. It's what we call a secondary pollutant. It's cooked up through chemical reactions in the air. But we do have ingredients for ozone. And the ingredients are volatile organic compounds, VOCs for short, And what VOCs are, are um, evaporated hydrocarbons. So if you spill gasoline on the ground, you can smell the gasoline. That's a VOC. So in order to create ozone, you have to have VOCs. And that really only occurs in high temperature combustion. So when you combine the VOCs from the petroleum or from the plants, and you combine that with these nitrogen oxides that come out of the tailpipes of our cars and come out of our homes, through gas furnaces and that sort of thing, and you combine that with sunlight, then the atmosphere will cook up ozone. And the reason why this is primarily a summertime phenomenon is because the rate of the chemical reactions that produce the ozone depends on temperature. The higher the temperature, the faster the reactions. So the hottest days tend to have the highest ozone concentrations along the Wasatch Front. Now that you know what our pollution is, let's talk a little about why we should care. First, it's important to understand that Utahns do care. We consistently see air quality rank as one of the top three priorities or concerns for the future. During the Your Utah, Your Future visioning process, we created something called a worry index. Air quality came in third, right behind the economy and water. In other words, the only issues that Utahns worried about more were whether they had a job and had water to, you know, survive. Air quality will come up as a priority every time. But why? For starters, there are real health concerns. Well, both particulate matter and ozone are inflammatory. And so the clinical outcomes that we observe when people are exposed to air pollution are a result of inflammation in airways. That's Dr. Liz Joy, Senior Medical Director for Wellness and Nutrition at Intermountain Healthcare. She's taken a real interest in air quality and has become one of the state's leading experts. She was a co-chair of Envision Utah's Your Utah, Your Future Clean Air Action Team, and she currently serves on the board of UCARE. Dr. Joy explained that PM2.5, that's the particulate matter that's only 2.5 microns in diameter, is small enough not only to make it into our lungs, but to pass through our lungs into our bloodstream. And once they're in the bloodstream, you know, they're going to travel, you know, all over the body. And it's actually how the blood carries pollution around the body is how the pollution exerts its effect. 
Think of these particles like grains of sand on sandpaper. Now, imagine rubbing sandpaper on a skin knee. It's going to irritate your skin. It'll become red and a little inflamed. Particulate matter does the same thing just inside you. It scrapes the lining of your lung tissue and blood vessels, and it can cause inflammation or lead to mucus in your lungs and blood vessels. Whether that's inflammation and narrowing in the blood vessels in the heart or inflammation and narrowing in the blood vessels in the brain, because we also know that particulate pollution is associated with um, a higher risk of stroke in somebody who has already had a stroke. This is why Utah's air quality index ties pollution to health levels. Orange air days are unhealthy for sensitive groups like people with asthma or other respiratory conditions. Breathing in large amounts of pollution will introduce tiny particles that can irritate their airways, causing them to swell and reduce airflow. Red air days are unhealthy for anyone. Similarly, that particulate pollution increases inflammation in blood vessels, which can increase the likelihood of having chest pain from decreased blood flow to the heart or even a follow-up heart attack. It even increases likelihood of congestive heart failure. This often leaves the elderly and the sick much more vulnerable. But it doesn't stop there. We know that particulate pollution is associated with some adverse pregnancy outcomes, and it's believed that the mechanism is similar, that the pollution comes in through the lungs, it goes into the blood vessels, and in the case of pregnancy, it goes to the placenta, which is what provides nourishment to the developing fetus. And that's what can cause problems with either premature pregnancy loss or small for gestational age babies or premature deliveries. And the health risks keep going. Now, there is some interesting work looking at the relationship between air pollution and mental health, specifically around air pollution and depression, air pollution and dementia, air pollution and autism. And I think the mechanisms that underlie those relationships are not fully understood, but um, suffice it to say that it may not just be purely vascular, but it may have some kind of direct toxic effect that the air pollution has a direct impact on the cells in the brain itself, resulting in various conditions. It's helpful to think about the health impacts of air quality in terms of acute effects and long-term effects. If you go running in the park late afternoon in the middle of the summer, or if you're a winter cyclist riding your bike to work during an inversion in February, you may find yourself coughing or even feeling some chest pain. These are acute effects. Maybe not a big deal if you're healthy, but if you already have chronic conditions, it's going to be worse. Worse enough that you probably shouldn't ride your bike in an inversion, and you probably shouldn't exercise outside late in the afternoon in the middle of the summer. But what if you're somebody who lives in a high-pollution area your whole life? What does that do to you? You know, is it going to put them at greater risk of dementia? Is it going to, despite their healthy lifestyle, increase their risk of having, you know, some type of cardiac condition later on in life, like atrial fibrillation? You know, what does that long-term exposure over childhood, adolescence, early adulthood And during a pregnancy, how does that end up influencing a developing fetus? And we don't necessarily have a lot of answers to those questions, but that's how we consider the risks of air quality, both acute effects and long-term effects. We don't yet know the full extent of the risks associated with pollution, but we know enough to be sure that there are good reasons for us to be seriously worried about the health impacts of poor air quality. 
but even our health is only part of the story. In 2017, Envision Utah conducted a survey of 1,200 tech employees around the point of the mountain. We asked them a lot about what they like about Utah, what they would change about the state, and what might drive them from Utah. 69% of them put air quality as one of the top reasons they would move away. Air quality came out as number one on the list of things that would push people out of Utah. We've also heard business owners worry about bringing job candidates to Utah during inversions. Some even fly candidates in at night so they won't notice the inversion. Then they get them skiing the next morning, so they fall in love with Utah before they notice the air quality. All this is to say air quality is definitely an economic issue. But it goes even deeper than that. We've done research to figure out why Utahns feel the way we do about air quality. For some, it's a genuine and immediate health concern. We, or our family or friends, directly suffer from poor air quality. For others of us, bad air days can rob us of time we'd spend with other people or even take away from some of our choices. It limits some of the things we can do. And for many of us, air quality is about our duty to the next generation. We feel we owe it to our kids and grandkids to leave the world a better place. And when we see an inversion or look at a yellow, orange, or red on the air quality index, it feels like we're failing them. But whether we fail the next generation is largely in our hands. Next time on the Your Utah, Your Future podcast, we take a look at the specific things causing our pollution and the specific things we can all do to reduce pollution and improve air quality. Utahns want cleaner air, and together we can make that vision our reality. Join us next week. For now, thanks for listening. Please share this with your friends, your family, anyone who cares about air quality in Utah and hopes for cleaner air in the future. This podcast is an Envision Utah production made possible by Envision Utah supporters and the dozens of Utahns who have worked with us on air quality issues over many, many years. This episode was written and produced by Shayla Adams, Nate Brown, and me, Jason Brown. Special thanks to our expert guests, Kevin Perry and Liz Joy. We'll see you all for part two in our series on air quality next week.